Well, good evening and welcome, everyone. Thank you all for being here tonight, and I hope your week is going well. Uh, let's pray together and just ask the Lord to bless our time of Bible study tonight. Uh, let's bow together. Father of grace, we thank you for your love and for your grace that is so bountiful and generous to us as sinners that gives us well beyond what we deserve. We thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to come together tonight as your people and just to have a time in the middle of the week in which we can fellowship together and we can gather around your word and we can join together in prayer and come before your throne. Father, our, our desire tonight is that we would have open ears and hearts to receive your truth and uh, that uh, you would be honored and glorified as we study your word and pray together tonight. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we're continuing to walk through Ruth together. And tonight we're in chapter two of Ruth. And last week we looked at the first half of the chapter and really just focused our attention on the main theme of God's providence and how God was working in Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and really just arranging the circumstances such that they all ended up together. And that providence is really kind of highlighted in the first part of chapter two, when the author of Ruth uses kind of an ironic expression. And he says that Ruth chanced upon the field of Boaz, knowing we know from scripture that there is no such thing as chance. And the writer of Ruth knows that as well, which makes it, uh, it draws our attention to it, that uh, this is something that God is doing behind the scenes. And so uh, we see Ruth uh, working in the field of Boaz. And tonight uh, we're going to focus our attention mostly on the second part of the chapter, beginning in verse 14, and really see uh, Boaz's uh, generosity uh, his hospitality, uh, his bountiful uh, provision for Ruth. And in so doing, really what we're seeing is God's bountiful provision and God's grace being poured out upon Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz is the channel of that. Jo Boaz is the instrument through which God is blessing Naomi and Ruth. And what I want to do is just back up and read the first half of the chapter, kind of give us a running start at uh, verses 14 through 23 tonight. And so verse one says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go uh, to the fields and uh, pick up left what is leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Uh, and Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So uh, she went out ahead uh, and entered into a field uh, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, uh, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, uh, who was from uh, the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, 
and he greeted his harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord greet you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, uh, who does this young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, uh, please let me glean and gather among uh, the the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. And I just want to pause there for a second because uh, I didn't bring this out last week, uh, but I read a commentary this week in preparation for verses 14 to 23 and he, he drew my attention to this verse and a very clear allusion to uh, the Genesis 12, 1 and 2. And Abram going out from his country from, and leaving his father and mother and going to a land that God would show him. And so here you have kind of a very similar language here of Ruth going out, being called by God to leave her father and mother and go to Israel, to the land of promise, the same land of Abraham. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And then we're going to focus our attention now, beginning in verse 14 tonight. And in verse 14, it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. And she ate all she wanted and had some left over. What we see here really in the second half of the chapter is like a new scene. So it's the same day, the first day that that Ruth went to the field of Boaz. But now this is probably around midday, uh, maybe a little bit bit later in the afternoon. uh, And everyone has stopped and they've gathered for a meal, probably under a canopy or a tent of some kind away from the heat of the day. And they're all gathered there. And here is Boaz. Now, we're going to begin to see him going way above and beyond what would normally be expected in this situation. So in the first part of the chapter, Boaz extends kindness to her by allowing her to work in the field 
and kind of extending his protection over her and his blessing over her to work in the field. But now he's going to go well above and beyond even that. And we see the beginning of that here when he specifically invites Ruth to come and join with the rest of the workers and join with Boaz in this midday meal. And oftentimes in scripture, meals are significant. Uh, Meals in scripture are often uh, themed around the idea of covenant and of relationship. A lot of times when you see meals in the Old Testament, it is uh, with the idea of establishing a relationship, establishing fellowship with someone. Oftentimes meals would be a part of a covenant ratification ceremony in which two parties come together, establish a covenant, and then they would share a meal together, kind of uh, in celebration or even formalizing that relationship that they now share with one another. And it's interesting that really all through scripture, sharing a meal together is a symbol of oneness, a, a symbol of unity. So we see in Exodus when God makes a covenant with Israel at Sinai. It says that the elders went up there with Moses to a part of the mountain and they had a meal in the presence of God, symbolizing this joining together in covenant of God with his people. And you kind of run that theme all the way through and you come to the New Testament and there's a very significant meal, isn't there, on the night before Jesus dies. And he is observing the Passover celebration there with his disciples. And he says, this is a covenant meal. Uh, This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. This is the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. So that meal establishes a unique relationship between Jesus and his followers, his disciples. And then even forward, moving into the New Testament, this is one of the reasons why Acts 10 And in Galatians 2, this is so significant because in order for the people of God to be one, Jew and Gentile, they had to be able to sit down and share a meal together. And so you have in Acts 10, God saying to Peter, there's no longer a difference between clean and unclean. You can now eat, go. And why? Because God called him to the home of Cornelius, a Gentile, showing that they can now be one, sit at the same table and share as one. In Galatians 2, uh, we have Paul talking about the fact that he rebuked Peter because Peter withdrew from table fellowship from the Gentiles. And Paul's saying to Peter, rebuking him, no, the gospel, one of the implications of the gospel is that we are now one people sharing together. Uh, and the, the fellowship, the hospitality of the meal is a, a profound symbol of that. And so it's interesting here that that Boaz is sharing a meal with a Gentile, isn't he? So Boaz, a Jew, invites Ruth to come and eat with the others, even though repeated throughout Ruth, the book of Ruth, many times she's referred to as the Moabitess or the Moabite. He invites her in. And so they're together now eating this meal and uh, they're sharing in this meal together. And Boaz 
offers her food. He says, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters and he offered her some roasted grain, which the way this is worded suggests that either Boaz got up and served Ruth or she was close enough to him that he could reach over and offer her some bread. So there is already, you can see the, the beginnings of this uh, relationship. And, and Boaz really here is kind of turning the tables upside down, isn't he? Because Ruth is a foreigner. She is really someone of no um, status in Israel at this point, but he actually gets up and serves her, or at least close enough that he offers her. He serves her and gives her bread. And he goes way above and beyond because it says that she ate until she was satisfied. She ate until she was full and she even had some leftovers, which she saved, put in a sack lunch, if you will. And she's going to bring it home to Naomi uh, when she's done working at the end of the day. Verse 15 says that after this mealtime, she got up to glean and Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Now, the question is, did Ruth hear this? As she's getting up to leave, the, the narrator doesn't tell us specifically, but I'm inclined to think that maybe she did hear that, that he's giving the orders to the men, but maybe as she's walking away, she overhears it and, and hears his generosity toward her. And what is significant about what Boaz tells his workers here is earlier in the chapter, he said to Ruth, you can stay in my field. You can come behind my workers and pick up the remnants. That's what the law had prescribed, that for foreigners, for the poor, the widows, you can come in behind and pick up anything that's left over. Now he's going above and beyond that and saying to his workers, let her even in with the full stocks that are, that are still, that haven't been fully gleaned yet. So not just that which is left behind, but even that which is uh, where, where the main workers were harvesting. And don't rebuke her if she is doing that. And she may certainly also, uh, says, even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So let her glean wherever she wants to, basically, is what he's saying to his workers. And I want you to help her out. I want you to do some of the work for her, basically. Take some and leave some behind. Uh, the way this would work is uh, it, they would come ac across a, um, a plant, you know, the, the, the stalk there of grain. And with their left hand, they would gather it kind of in a bundle. And then with their right hand, they would, you know, cut it. And then they would have some. And basically he's saying, I want you to take some out of that and kind of just drop it and leave some extra for her along the way. And that really emphasizes the bountiful generosity, doesn't it? So he's going above and beyond. Verse 17 says that, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. So she worked all day. 
when Boaz first got there earlier in chapter two, he inquired about Ruth, who is this young woman? And his workers told him she's been here since morning until now. Now we get to the end of the day and she worked all the way till evening and then she stayed and threshed it out. Basically, you would go to like maybe a rock or a, a hard piece of ground and you would beat the grain and you would separate out the good grain from the chaff. Uh, kind of like at a threshing floor uh, where, like where we see Gideon, for example, in the book of Judges. And so Ruth does this at the end of all of her day's work of gathering. Then she threshes it out so that she can take home a sack of grain to Naomi. And it says that she got about an ephah. Now, if you're like me, that does nothing for me, right? What is an ephah? What's an ephah of grain? It's about two thirds of a bushel. And if you're still like me, you're like, that doesn't help me either. What is two thirds of a bushel? It's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 pounds of grain. According to another passage in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17, 17, it indicates that an ephah of grain could feed about 50 men. So it's a significant uh, harvest for one day's work. So she's received not just the little scraps that have fallen behind, but she's been blessed with much. And what's amazing about this picture is we have Naomi at the end of chapter one saying, we've come back empty handed. They really weren't empty handed. And the very first day she goes out to work shows that they're really not empty handed. God is blessing them, providing for them, and and not just the bare necessities, but even over and above, beyond providing for them. She carried it and came back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. She's clearly shocked by how much Ruth was able to bring back home. And Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. This is her leftover lunch from earlier in the day which is another act of grace, isn't it? Because here Ruth is viewed as a provider for Naomi, but by extension, Boaz is the provider for both of them. And behind that, God is the provider of all of them, isn't he? And so God through Boaz, through Ruth, provides for Naomi, the one who thought she was coming back empty-handed, but she really had much. And this is even... uh, generous because Naomi doesn't even have to fix it. She doesn't have to take the the raw grain that's been brought back and do something with it. This is food that's already been prepared. This is bread. This is grain that's already been roasted. It's ready to eat. And so she can take it and be filled. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Uh, Naomi wants to know who has shown you such uh, grace and generosity. She didn't want to know as so much as where, but who? Because she's clearly uh, amazed 
at how much Ruth was able to bring back. Where did you go? Whose field were you in? And the way the verse reads uh, is the whole verse is building toward a climax, a crescendo. And in Hebrew, the very last word of the verse is Boaz. And the way it's phrased, it's almost kind of like drawing you out because Ruth even repeats some of the question of Naomi to, to add more words to her response to kind of make it linger for a little bit longer till you get to that crescendo of Boaz. His name is Boaz. And this is beautiful here because Naomi doesn't know who this is. Ruth does. But after she says the name, verse 20, Naomi knows who he is, but Ruth doesn't. Because Ruth knows his name, Boaz. Naomi doesn't even know the name in verse 19. But once the name is given, the roles reverse. And Naomi knows something about this man that Ruth doesn't know yet. And she's about to reveal it. And so verse 20 says, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Compare the end of chapter one, maybe I should say contrast, contrast the end of chapter one with the end of chapter two. At the end of chapter one, the women say, can this be Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me that. Don't call me pleasant one. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. But now, the end of chapter two, she's giving a blessing. The Lord bless him. Uh, The way it reads is with the idea of, may this man, may his name be blessed by the Lord. May the Lord bless bless him. The one whom she thought was giving her a hard, heavy hand of providence. Now she is recognizing goodness. She's recognizing blessing. And here's the thing that we need to realize as Christians is God all the time is working for our good. Even in the chapter one moments, when we think that everything is going against us, God was still working. Romans 8, 28. God is working all things, all things together for a good to those who love God. And she's recognizing that now. She's starting to recognize God's hand of goodness in this. And she says, bless him. Bless his name. And when it says he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, I think that's talking about God. It's talking about God. God has not stopped showing his kindness. God is still a God of hesed, of mercy, of faithfulness, of loving kindness. And the words that are used here are reminiscent of what Naomi says of her daughters-in-law back in chapter one of Orpah and Ruth. He says, she says to them, you have not stopped showing kindness to me, to the living and the dead by staying with me. And so it's a, again, pointing to Ruth's character in here reflecting some of the character of God and his kindness and faithfulness to his people. 
And so God has not abandoned her. God has not abandoned Naomi. He hasn't abandoned Ruth. He is still showing kindness and grace. And of course, the living and the dead here refers to Naomi's family, right? Uh, The living are Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. The dead are Elimelech and Malon and Kilion. And God is honoring the living and the dead here by taking care of the living. And we will see shortly how he will honor the dead, how he will honor the name of Elimelech and, uh, and uh, Kilion. And so here is uh, uh, Naomi blessing Boaz. And then she gives Ruth the piece of information that she doesn't know. This man is related to us. He is a, a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer. And this idea, this position in the family has a lot of Old Testament background behind it. Uh, we see in the book of Leviticus um, and in Deuteronomy several roles that this uh, kinsman redeemer was supposed to play. And so, for example, in uh, Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Leviticus 25, one of the responsibilities of the Goel, the Redeemer, was to make sure that property did, did not pass out of the clan. So to make sure that that family property was redeemed, that stayed within the allotment that Joshua allotted to the tribes and the clans in the book of Joshua. Uh, Another responsibility of this redeemer was to seek the freedom of family members by buying them out of slavery. And so if a family member had become poor and perhaps had to sell themselves into slavery because of a debt, it was this family redeemer who would establish their freedom, purchase their freedom. Another role of the redeemer, according to Numbers 35, was to uh, track down and execute murderers of family members. So if someone in the family, in the clan, if someone was murdered, it was one of these redeemers responsibility to track down that murderer and seek justice for that murderer. Uh, Numbers 5.8 suggests that uh, a redeemer was to receive restitution money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime. So if there was a a penalty, uh, a financial penalty that had to be paid, then this redeemer would receive that on behalf of the family. Uh, There was also, according to Job and Psalms and Jeremiah 50, uh, to ensure that justice is done in a lawsuit involving a relative. So to make sure that justice is done. And then we also see in Deuteronomy 25, and fleshed out here in the story of Ruth, uh, the, the idea of leveret marriage, in which a, a near relative, usually a brother or the closest brother, would marry a widow, a childless widow, so that uh, the name, the inheritance rights, would not pass from that man's family in Israel. And so Ruth is being informed here by Naomi, Boaz is potentially one of these redeemers. And notice she says he is one of our guardian redeemers. He is of 
our close family, which kind of is a foreshadowing of chapter four, isn't it? Because there's another potential candidate in chapter four. So he's one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. So don't go anywhere. Stay here, stay close by my workers, glean wherever you want, not just in the leftovers, glean wherever you want. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So here you found a place of safety. Here you found a place of refuge. This is where you belong. Stay here. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So at the end of chapter one, we have Naomi and Ruth arriving as these harvests were beginning. The end of chapter two, we have Ruth working in the fields of Boaz all the way through the whole harvest season, gleaning the food each day for the care of their family. And this last uh, sentence of verse 23, it just seems like kind of a, you know, a uh, transition phrase, and, and it is, but it also recalls something from earlier in the story. She lived with her mother-in-law. Isn't that what Ruth said she was going to do? Romans 1, 16 and 17. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I, I will stay. Where you live, I will live. And so this little phrase shows that Ruth is fulfilling her promise to Naomi. She's staying with her. But the, the main picture from the second half of Ruth is the, the bountiful generosity of Boaz, isn't it? That Boaz has not only welcomed her and given her a place of safety to glean, but he's also going above and beyond by inviting her to eat with him, by giving her all that she wants and more to share with Naomi, by providing overabundantly for her needs, by telling his workers to let her uh, glean wherever she wants to glean and even telling them leave some extra behind for her. And we see at the end of the chapter, the, the results of that generosity and all that she's able to bring back to Naomi. And this story, the whole book, but we see it in chapter two, the part that we looked at tonight is a beautiful picture of God's grace, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of God's grace because Boaz is inviting a, a foreigner, a stranger from the outside in, isn't he? And, and Boaz is the one who's taking the initiative. We saw in the first part of chapter one that Boaz is the one who initiates the conversation about Ruth. Who is this? And he goes and approaches her and says, stay here and work in my field. So he takes the initiative. God takes the gracious initiative with us. He welcomes in the foreigner and the stranger. He welcomes in the outsider who in, in one sense of it doesn't really belong, but because of God's grace, we're made to belong. And so we're invited in. Uh, we see God's not just giving us the bare minimum of what we need, but lavishing his grace on us, doesn't he? 
Because it would be one thing for God to say to us, I forgive you, I will not condemn you. That would be gracious enough. But then for God to go above and beyond that and say, now I'm welcoming you into my family, you're called my children. And here's this eternal inheritance for you. We see Boaz reflecting that bountiful grace of God here by going above and beyond and providing beyond her basic needs. And we're going to see this image um, fleshed out even more as we move forward in the story. But the idea of a redeemer, the idea of one who would plead our cause, the idea of one who would rescue us uh, from sure uh, death and starvation and redeem us and make us a part of his family and welcome us in and take care of all of the legal issues that have to be taken care of in order for that to happen, for us to be made a part of his family. Boaz becomes a picture of Christ and Christ as our redeemer and what he accomplishes for us. But really in all of this, it is the bountiful grace of God working through Boaz, who is the wing of God. Remember earlier in the chapter, Boaz uses the language Uh, You've come to Israel. You've come to the Lord under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. And Boaz is like the wing of God who is providing that protection and covering and safety. Uh, And God is using him as his instrument to do that. So Boaz's bountiful grace represents God's bountiful grace to us as unworthy sinners. Praise be to God that he has welcomed us in the outsider, the foreigner, brought inside and given more than we could ever imagine. Praise be to our God. Let's pray together. Father, you are good beyond our comprehension. We thank you for this story, Father, because in stories like this, in the narratives of your word, we see uh, your character uh, fleshed out, lived out in the lives of people. And we see your character personified in people like Boaz, who exemplified great virtue and magnanimous grace and generosity. Lord, thank you for being that generous and gracious God to us. Lord, may we uh, be eternally grateful for the grace that you have given to us. And may we uh, exemplify that character uh, as in the way that we uh, show kindness to others, Lord. May we love others because you have first loved us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. And we pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.